Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond and I'm joined here by my friend Ryan. Say hi, Ryan. Hello, Hello everybody. Uh, we're back for 2023. Going to try and kick this off and uh, do it a little bit more often, as we always say. Um, but yeah, we're excited to talk about uh, what we're looking forward to in 2023 and what's been top of mind at the start of the new year. Um, and Ryan, you've brought up a, a couple of good ideas for conversation. And uh, the first one is a very hot topic, and uh, it's electric cars. Might be boring to some people, but it's uh, it's an important topic. So I don't think we've shared our views quite on uh, on the subject in the past. So I think it's a new one for us. I think you're right, Stephen. And you know the thing is, EVs are really interesting to me, right? You know, I'm like this purist. I love driving a stick. I I have a I drive a pickup truck with a manual transmission every day, like the antithesis to a, to an electric car. But I, I also am kind of attracted to them in some way. I really like the simplicity. I like the idea of reducing noise. You know, if a car doesn't sound attractive, you know, if the engine is just utilitarian, I'd rather not have the noise. You know, it, it doesn't do much for me. Not everything sounds like a, sounds like a Porsche, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess I started driving EVs for the first time a while ago now. It must be maybe like eight years ago it's been since I drove my first EV, which is yeah. shocking. I think um, I think you, we were still in college, I think, uh, when you started you know, bringing up the topic of, of EVs and, and your experience with that. Um, do you recall which car it was? Yeah, so BMW... I got to think of what year it was exactly. It must have been like 2012 or 2013. I want to say 2012, maybe 13. They came out with the i3 in the US. And it was really at the forefront of electric vehicles becoming more popular and mainstream. And they did this awesome introduction, which was, hey, you can um, have the car for a couple of days and just try it out. Sign up online. And, you know, me no money in college, no intention of purchasing, signed up instantly because I thought it would be a neat experience. And it was, and I got to, picked it up in, in Boston and, and drove it up to Hull, which is a neat little sort of peninsula off the, off the coast, right to the north of Boston. And it was spectacular. I loved all the materials. It felt really futuristic at the time, you know, all kinds of exposed carbon fiber and recycled materials and a lot of glass really quiet you know i remember we drove it through a big rainstorm and somehow it was very relaxing in rain and in traffic because there was no noise and it was just sort of effortless it, it felt like the future truthfully and after that i was always convinced that it made a lot of sense if you were commuting right you drove with one pedal you didn't have to mess around it was very smooth no changing of gears with the transmission clunky automatics jerking as you hit the brakes as a, as a manual transmission driver that's one of my biggest pet peeves of automatic transmissions how they downshift as you're coming to a stop and you can't like just let the car coast smoothly <laughs> into a stop sign and this sort of alleviated those issues but it was a tiny car and i don't know what did they have like 100 miles range yeah it was something small like that and that was really kind of the the start of the commercialization of i think electric cars and 
something that we've seen as it's gotten more popular for manufacturers to produce them has been this debate of do we make it feel as close to a normal car as possible or do we make it outrageous and different because it is different and do you want to kind of sell on that theater of the future and of electricity and everything like that and you know the i3 was certainly that of let's make something that's different you know this is an electric car is something very different than anything bmw had produced up to that time and you know it stood out but it was gorgeous to look at i think it's a nice design and they definitely took some of the elements of let's make this car slippery and sleek to to maximize efficiency but you know as opposed to bmws today i guess they kind of lost that idea um but let's make it nice to look at too and, and nice to to live with so they definitely did some neat things with uh, that package it's funny that you also find it attractive i I find it to be a really attractive vehicle, but I think it's quite polarizing. A lot of people are like, wow, it's so ugly. And I never felt that way. I always thought it was a really neat design. It felt so uh, European modern to me. And in the bland sea of blobby potato-like American cars here, you know, it was just, it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, But as bold as it was, it was also pedestrian. It wasn't fast. It had like little bicycle wheels. It was... It, it was bold in design, but then it was actually really about eco- like economizing, right? Mm-hmm. It was economizing space, it was economizing efficiency and so forth. Whereas I think some other folks in the EV industry took a more outrageous, like you, you use the word outrageous, and I, I like that because like Tesla, who is one of the companies that I want to talk about today, took an outrageous stance. And I think that, for example, whether you like Elon Musk or not, I think from a marketing perspective, his his play in making something that was outrageous and stole headlines because of its speed and power, which are, in my mind, essentially like useless and meaningless for an electric vehicle, it, it was a great idea. You know, he uh, he he got people talking about his cars. Wow, two seconds, zero to sixty, like this is faster than a supercar. What, what are we even talking about here? And and, and all kinds of people sort of bought into it just based on that more than anything else. And what a good idea. You know, I, I mean, uh, not to go too far off Tesla, but another company who took a sort of a, a stance like that was Ford. They decided to name their electric vehicle the Mustang. It's a compact sport utility vehicle. It has nothing to do with the Mustang <laughs> sports car by any stretch of the imagination. But I also think it was a great marketing play because Frankly, unless you're a diehard Mustang fan, who cared about them using the brand, number one? And number two, for the people who don't know any better, they're going to think that because it's a Mustang, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, a, it's an interesting point. And uh, I would say, you know, Elon Musk definitely played off the hype of understanding the possibilities of an electric car and what it offers in comparison to traditional combustion engines and playing off that hype to get people who aren't interested in cars or the mechanics of you know how transportation works but just like look at these neat things that this car can do that your car can't do and that's the reason why you should you know buy one of my cars and also since i already have a ton of money i'm going to make it more affordable for you to actually experience that um, and, and that's a big part 
probably the bigger part of why Tesla is so controversial is they really did make electric cars more accessible to more people, which is great and was very important to really get that industry moving. Um, on the Mustang part, I think the Mach-E name of it is cooler than the Mustang part because I think a Mach-E sounds way cooler. Just like it sounds like a spaceship. I don't think they had to make it like the Mustang, but I do understand why they did it. It was a stretch, though. You're you're atypical in thinking that the Mustang brand isn't that cool. I think to like America, the Mustang brand has some has some weight, right? And so that that attracted people, maybe not us, but there was a, a huge clientele, I'm sure, that was attracted by that. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it definitely is cool. I just, I, maybe because I know, you know, like you said, I know what a Mustang is and it's not a Mustang. <laughs> so it doesn't do much for me. But the Mach-E part of it is cool. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk a little bit about recently, uh, actually just since the end of last year and at the beginning of this year in January, I, I had the chance to drive two Teslas. I drove one ages ago as well in New York City, right when the self-driving was coming out and that was quite the experience but before i talk about that i wanted to ask you what was your first ev driving experience yeah so I've, i mean i haven't had much experience with evs and that was something that always weighed on my mind for the years that they were starting to come come up and get popular and everyone started talking about teslas and i had nothing to contribute on that topic um so my first introduction to electric cars in terms of being behind the wheel wasn't until i did the porsche track experience in birmingham uh maybe like two years ago um where i got my hands on a tycon and it was in a very limited you know experience it wasn't on a main road it wasn't in public i was in like a paddock uh of a track doing some sort of acceleration brake exercises but you know, what better way to really emphasize driving around in these high-powered sports cars, 911s and, and Boxsters and Caymans, and then get into a big, heavy electric sedan and then tell you, okay, you're gonna launch it and then you know, slam on the brakes and try to do some trail brake exercises, you know, still apply track uh, theories to such a car that originally you would never think an electric car would be considered um, any type of sport related activity or on a track or anything like that. Um, and the Taycan has one of the best like launch systems ever. So it was like a Taycan Turbo or Turbo S. Um, and uh, yeah, so my experience was having my head thrown back against the the headrests, you know, doing that and being you're really amazed by its capabilities, um, you know, at least in acceleration and, and and turning and braking and things like that. But so that was very extreme. Um, and honestly, I still haven't had the opportunity to experience what it's like to live with a electric vehicle uh, in standard life, you know, travel on a main road, drive, get, you know, stop at stoplights, go charge it, you know, the big thing like that. Um, I have driven a Taycan also on the main road since then, um, but it was in a limited sense of I was ripping around Bear Mountain with a bunch of other sports cars uh, and we're all swapping vehicles and 
I can talk on how amazing the Taycan is because it is incredible that that five ton beast can break and turn and do everything like that. And I think the interior is amazing. Uh, I love the ergonomics of it and I would pick one over a Panamera any day. Um, That's interesting. Yes. Wow. Um, just sat in the Panamera at the Porsche dealer and I loved it. I'm shocked to hear that. But yeah, it, it is five tons, by the way. I just looked it up. 5,119 pounds. It is so fucking heavy. <laughs> but you don't feel like you do feel it, but it handles it so well on the road. Um, and it's really amazing. Um, but, you know, they're the complete opposite of what Tesla is and what Tesla is doing. And they've only come into it because of what Tesla started and and they're the the big real old school manufacturer that has all the R&D to to put something together like that that's so well built and capable in terms of electric car whereas Tesla's are you know not known for their uh reliability or their build quality and things like that um so you know it's it's a complete different experience i think going one from the other even though Tesla is trying to compete with uh, with the likes of like you know Porsche and the other higher end uh, manufacturers, but what was your experience in your Teslas and and which Teslas did you drive? Well, it's interesting because uh, I really have had the exact opposite experience to you, in that the ninety percent of my electric vehicle driving has been in Teslas. <laughs> the BMW, by the way, was very high quality. I thinking back on that and comparing it to the Teslas, which are way more expensive than that i3 ever was, thought about buying an i3, by the way. There was a time with the tax credits that you could lease an i3 for like $85 a month, and it was a no-brainer, but I, I didn't I didn't do it. Looking back, I sort of wish I had. <laughs> um, the, the Teslas, on the other hand, have been sort of really interesting, really different than most cars that I drive. But also, you, you spoke about build quality. That's like maybe one of my biggest takeaways from from Teslas versus sort of like the German brands that I know and love. Just the quality is is not there, right? So they're they almost remind me of an of a vintage American car. They're like stereotypically American. Yeah, and they have like all the lipstick. The, <laughs> the you know, it looks great. But if you if you start checking out the details or you take it on an extended test drive, stuff kind of starts falling apart. And mm. actually, it like it's funny. People talk about it like it's a Tesla exclusive issue. But I think it's so typical of the American car industry. We're not focused on all of the minutia the way that, you know, Germans or Japanese have over the years. And it comes through in the vehicle. Right. So um, the first Tesla I drove was a Model S. And that was probably in like, I don't remember the year Model S came out, probably in 2010 or something like that, or maybe even a little old, a little longer ago than that. But I must have driven one in 2013, approximately 2013, 2014. And if I have my years wrong, I apologize. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's been a while. But I do recall on that test drive the exact uh, reaction that you had with your Taycan experience that it slammed my head back into the headrest. In fact, I was on a test drive from the Tesla store in New York City, and the gentleman who took us out says, okay, put your heads back against the headrest before he floors it. And I'm like, yeah, look at this asshole. Like, you don't have to show off. Like, I know the car is fast. 
and I hit the gas and I, it actually hurt my head. <laughs> yes, it does. It slammed me into the headrest. Yeah, you so can, like, I recommend you bring your heads back. <laughs> you had the same experience in the Taycan. Yeah, they definitely gave that disclaimer, and I was aware of it, and but and I did mostly listen to it. But there was one time my head was even just slightly off the headrest, and I accelerated, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I felt in the back of my neck, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll really make sure it's pressed against next time. As it happens, we're the type of people that when they bring a hot plate to your table and say, don't touch, it's hot, <laughs> we'll just have to touch it. <laughs> but uh, you know the the that that you know force in the acceleration was was initially really apparent and i remember we were on the west side highway going from stoplight to stoplight and it was so dramatic the acceleration experience that i recall i was breaking with too much anticipation of mm -hmm. the uh, oncoming traffic because i was so disoriented by how fast i was accelerating versus my normal you know experience right and so then i was like oh i, I braked way ahead of when I'm going to get to these people, but it was just because I was so freaked out by how fast I was accelerating. And we did use, um, um, what are they called? Their, their, their autopilot. Is it called autopilot? Yeah, yeah, autopilot, yeah. We did use the autopilot for a few minutes on that test drive, both my father and I. He was with me for it. It was on Father's Day, actually. Um, and as I recall... It was working all right, and it was my first time experiencing something like that in the car. We were both, you know, it was at, at a time when that wasn't common, and there were a lot of oohs and ahs. Uh, but I do remember that it wasn't so good in the same way that it isn't good today when, like, for example, on the West Side Highway, they had some Jersey barriers coming into, like, the edge of the lane, and the car kind of was freaking out. It didn't know what to do. And, and you were freaking out because you weren't accustomed to the concept of the car having control, right? Um, but then more recently, I, I just drove, I rented out in California. We were in Santa Cruz over the holidays and I rented a Model X, just the brand new Model X base. Um, and it looked really good. I have to say, looks wise, this dark gray, black wheels, like. That's the SUV, right? The SUV with the with the Falcon wings. <laughs> you all can't see me, but I'm doing the, uh, <laughs> I'm doing the motion of the doors. Um, I have a good picture of that, by the way, with the bikes on the back. I'll send it to you, and we can put that as the uh, sure. the album uh, or the cover art for this podcast. And uh, a guy, uh, I rented it on Turo, uh, and the guy met me at, at San Francisco Airport. And I, I was out before my father and Karen, who were joining me, and so I had to take it around the block and sort of come back to them. And this thing felt like I was in a spaceship. First of all, it had the yoke, right? Which uh, where the like the 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 top of the steering wheel doesn't connect. No top of the steering wheel, just the just the bottom, like a Formula right. One car, and no stocks, right? So like the blinkers are on the steering wheel, yeah, yeah, and yeah. everything's there. And then there's this massive screen next to you, and sort of everything is controlled between those two. You there's no shift lever either. You actually like drag the car on the screen forwards or backwards to set it into into like reverse or drive right and i kept putting it into reverse because you have to drag it forwards to put it into into drive 
and I'm so used to pulling back yeah. <laughs> put it to drive, right? Like the new dog leg, you know. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it was it was really funny. I put it into reverse like ten times, but uh, immediately as I was driving it to get back to pick up my family from from the airport. I almost had a couple of accidents because I was so I was so out of my element with these like the blinkers and the yoke and and it was it was all too much in in that setting. Um, but we got going on uh, on 280 uh, over Palo Alto, which is a pretty road. Stephen, you and I actually drove that in the Viper when it was really hot that day, and and comically enough, we stopped at the same um, Vista point that you and I stopped at in the Viper. Okay. Yeah. Just so I relax and get my bearings. And I, I was telling uh, Karen and my dad about how we were there letting the Viper cool down because it was overheating. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hot out. Um, so that was a nice memory. But you know, in our in our uh, drive, just that little bit, we were already impressed with the speed of this thing. Like the base Model X, I wasn't expecting much of it. We had to look it up at 670 horsepower or something like. Mm. crazy power and it was really evident um and you know also a huge amount of glass which was really nice all the interior materials felt really nice and so forth um and so we proceeded to have the car for like a week in in santa cruz and it was uh it was a really cool car you know um it, it handled incredibly well for such a big vehicle with three rows of seats i would say Maybe the standout characteristic of that was the almost sports car style handling, I guess, because of how low the center of gravity is from the from the batteries. Um, but the other thing that stood out to me was um, the price and the quality. So we're driving it over the week. We we actually even put on the the hitch, which is pretty cool. It's a stealth hitch, and we we hooked up a, a bike rack, and we had mountain bikes on the back, which seemed kind of a neat experience, and. We were saying the one thing that stood out to us, although all the, the materials felt nice and it was kind of neat and interesting, you're driving down the highway and you have all this wind noise, like the seals on the windows don't close exactly perfectly and you hear noise coming through the windshield and there's little rattles and things like this. And Well, the windshield's like a mile long, right? It's like one of those that extend above your head kind of a thing. It does. And, and the... Actually, the sun visors for the windshield are bizarre. They're they're sort of hooked into the side of the windshield. You bring them across. They're they're this interesting design, held up with magnets rather than clips, which is kind of neat. Mm. Um, but you know, we were guessing at how much it cost, and we were like, oh yeah, maybe it's like seventy five thousand dollars. And and as I recall, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but as I recall, I think it starts at like a hundred and change, maybe a hundred and twenty is the starting price of this. And we were absolutely shocked by that. I mean, once we had the information, we said, okay, it makes sense. This thing drives itself. It has these crazy complicated, you know, falcon wing doors that must cost a ton of money. The one feature that was extremely luxurious that I hadn't experienced on any other car is the doors open and close for you. So even like the driver's door. So you would, instead of having a door handle you tapped on this little area on the door and the door opens just power for you but it, it has sensors so it, yeah fully like it, it will open to the point that it can because it's looking for anything that it would hit and then you get into the driver's seat 
and you hit the brake pedal and it closes for you. Hmm. Which was kind of nice. Like a Rolls Royce. Like a roller, yeah, which, you know, again, leads to the 120K price tag, right? <laughs> but I couldn't possibly drop $120,000 on something that has that kind of, you know, wind noise coming from the windows on the highway. It was, that was not right to me. Right, when you're driving, it doesn't sound like a Rolls Royce. No, but what we also contemplated is that because it's electric, you know, versus... uh Versus a, a petrol engine where you have all the background noise of the transmission and so forth. There's no background noise. No, that's true. And and I do imagine that, you know, without those other sounds, you know, you're able to hear tire noise on the road and, and wind noise, you know, a lot easier. It all comes down, obviously, to a bit of isolation um, or insulation in, in, in the car as well. Because obviously, if you have a Rolls Royce, you know, it's probably quieter in a Rolls Royce because of all the insulation, just even though it has a, a big engine in it and everything because of, you know, just that build quality and, and, and that focus to detail. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that's, that's an interesting part for me. I think that the Model X at that point is a little bit of a, it's a car for people with a lot of money who want sort of the status of having a Tesla and don't really care about the details. Right. That car has a specific market. For sure. Especially the Model X, I would say. I agree. But if I may, you know, we're not going to go into a huge review of the Model X, but obviously it's a somewhat an SUV. You know, it's it's a, a truck of so, of sorts. It is. It's, it's extremely practical. I mean. Yeah, I was going to say, did you find it? You know, did you get utility out of it? Like, you know, do you still get that? You do. I mean, it has a hitch. It can tow a lot. It has, you know, a lot of uh, storage space in the trunk. You have seating for seven. Um, there, were, there were two things from a, from a comfort perspective that we didn't like. The back seats, I got a lot of complaints from the rear passengers. Uh, they didn't like the back seats. And in the passenger seat, you have like, instead of having a large footwell, it comes up to like just a flat wall. So your feet sort of, you don't have a great place to extend your feet. You have to sort of put them up against a wall, hmm. which is which is a bit awkward. Again, for the price of the car, it seems like a big oversight. Um, but no, it, it was definitely practical. I mean, you could have that as an only car and do a lot of adventurous things with, camping biking going on trips to family it's from that perspective it's it's very convincing as an alternative to a gasoline vehicle like a truck which is kind of the thing that you don't expect to replace right oh, interesting so what's your overall conclusion with your experiences with with teslas do you think uh do you think they make sense do you think they're going in the right direction or are they a distraction when it comes to what should be the direction that the electric car market, you know, goes in. Well, the one thing that they've done, which I experienced, I, so so now I've driven also since that, I had a Model 3 as a rental car, which was interesting. I went to the Hertz. What cars do you have? Well, we have like five Model 3s, or you can have a Toyota Camry. I was like, yeah, I'll take the Tesla, please. <laughs> but you, you kind of don't expect that, right? And now that's becoming the norm. Um, but in both that and the Model X, 
I use their charging network a lot. Mm. And frankly, I cannot imagine how you buy an electric vehicle that isn't a Tesla today. Because they don't have anything like the charging network. Tesla has done such a great job at putting these superchargers everywhere. So you look on the map, I mean, especially in California, mm. there's super, we were in the middle of nowhere going mountain biking and there's superchargers there, you know. Uh, we learned the lesson. There are different levels of the superchargers. Hmm. So some are a lot slower than others, which we didn't know until, you know, afterwards we realized you could see the um, the amount of kilowatts that you would get at that supercharger. Like, so there are less super superchargers. There are less super superchargers, <laughs> which still you could go in and have a meal and come out and you'd have enough juice. But there, there are some that it's really a 25-minute thing, which is – that's excellent. You know, 25 minutes – I actually found the whole supercharging process an interesting change in my life. Mm. I would wake up in the mornings early on this California trip because it was a three-hour time difference, and I'm sort of a 9 a.m. riser, so I was up at 6 or a little earlier every day. Mm. And my go-to, since we didn't have a home charger at the place we rented, was to get up and get a coffee and go and charge the Tesla. Mm. And it was kind of neat. Like I enjoyed getting up early and doing something like that <laughs> and, you know, and going somewhere. And then I'm playing with with all the different watching, watching car review videos on YouTube on the big screen while it's charging. <laughs> and it, it was a neat experience. And you looked around at the other people and you were sort of wondering what their story was. <laughs> Everyone charging there at 630 in the morning. That would be, be a neat thing to like go out and interview other fellow Tesla owners at superchargers and uh, get their Tesla experience, you know. Right. Um, I guess if you have uh, a home charging station and you're not using this vehicle for road trips, any electric car would be fine. Mm -hmm. We found that, for example, we drove all the way up to Napa Valley and Sonoma and we drove all the way down to, to Monterey and Carmel. And having charging stations along the way just, excuse me, made the road trips effortless. We didn't have to, sure, we had to look on the map, but it wasn't like we had to plot in it, plot our route in advance. You know, it was, it was easy. And I think if you got into any other electric car, you'd have to put a little bit of thought into what you're doing. Right. Yeah. But maybe, you know, that harks back maybe to the old days where you, you had to plan your trip on a map. And then, you know, find gas, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I do remember bits of that, you know, obviously we're young before uh, GPSs came out, but we still have some faint memory of that. But it, it's a, you know, it's slower pace maybe at, at times. And, and maybe we've gotten too accustomed to the get up and go that we forget to stop and, and appreciate what's uh, what's around us. But I, I agree. And that was the experience, a, a little bit of what I had with stopping at the superchargers. You're on your drive. You stop for a half hour, get out, go have a beer somewhere. You right. know? <laughs> I'm not promoting drinking and driving, but <laughs> the Tesla drives itself anyway, right? Right. See, that's another thing. I've not had any experience with any of that high degree of uh, autonomous driving. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm still kind of lost to the full experience of an electric car also the whole full like one pedal driving experience i have yet to experience as well 
which I think is probably the best part about the, you know, the electric vehicle in terms of driving and traffic and so forth. You don't have to struggle. The the Taycan didn't have that. It probably did, but in the application that I was using it for, like it was not the purpose or it was not wanted or desired, you know, um, especially on the track, you know, they are focusing or on us doing braking. And I don't recall what degree of regenerative braking was on, but I don't think it was on very high. Um, so I haven't had much experience with that. Interesting. I will say my only experience with the Tesla was that, and, and this is, I'll make this a short story, but I was leaving a friend's wedding in North Jersey and it was midnight or maybe even 1 a.m. And my buddy and I needed to get back to his place where I was staying and we called an Uber in the middle of kind of nowhere, Jersey. And what did appear but a Model 3. Model 3 is the Uber of choice these days, probably because they rent them from Hertz like I did. They're they're so abundant. They're even New York taxis now that are Model 3s, Yeah, which is wild. Um, so my only experience was sitting in the back of a Model 3 for a 40-minute drive uh, from North Jersey down to, like, the Hudson area, Hudson County area of, uh, of Jersey near New York City. Um, and I had a good time watching the driver drive and watching the, the screen show the car on the road and how he goes over the lines and everything. Um, so it was, a, you know, it wasn't the most comfortable seat, but it was comfortable enough. And, uh, yeah, I still valued the observation I had from that experience. They do feel a step above and beyond your typical taxi in terms of quality and luxury. Okay. For sure. I had a bunch I'd much rather have that than a a twenty year old Crown Vic that's uh, been saddened by like you know thousands of people. Meanwhile, it's not like you can get a Crown Vic taxi anymore. They're all like gone, man. It's it's all Toyota Camrys and those <laughs> Nissan, whatever those fucking horrible Nissan the things. M two thousand, whatever. Yeah, those are the worst. Two thousand. Yeah. I would say no to a taxi if I if one pulled up and and it was that I'd be like no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Or they're like Ford Escapes or something like that as well, too. I had a bunch of the Model 3s in D.C. They were using them heavily as Ubers. Uh, and my only complaint was that the backseat's kind of small. It wasn't mm. exactly comfortable, but it was still kind of nice versus anything else that you could have. Right, right. No, and absolutely. the drivers tended to be more interesting. The folks who like went out of their way to, to drive that, were, were, they were, I had interesting conversations with all of them, which <laughs> which made sense to me. That's definitely a conversation piece. So when are you going to buy your first uh, electric car if uh, you didn't buy the i3? When are you going to hop on that that boat, so to speak? Well, what occurred to me just now, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier before we started the podcast about the finance aspect of these whole this whole business. And the Model 3 is getting affordable. Tesla dropped the price by like eight grand or something. I mean, I think they're in the in the mid to high 30s right now for a base Model 3, which is to me a lot of car for the money. But I will say, and, and I thought about it, I said, wow, you could do that plus the tax credit of like 7,500 bucks. So it would be, you know, essentially the low 30s mm. or something like this. 
and and I and I thought, wow, that would be actually a pretty neat car because you probably wouldn't lose much in depreciation over a couple of years. You get rid of it. Um, so when I got the Model Three as the rental, I thought pretty seriously about that. But there is no way I would possibly buy a Model Three. Mm. It, was, it shocked me at how much less of a car it was than the Model X. Mm. So I assumed when buying the Model X that a lot of the, you know, because the window switches and some other things were the same, that they were going to be similar. But dynamically, the Model 3 is not a very interesting car. Like the suspension is, it's kind of juvenile in comparison to European vehicles, right? Uh, Like my mother's 2016 Passat has a, a much more enjoyable ride quality and just overall manner of driving versus that Model 3. And so you're you're getting what you pay for in a way. You're getting the, the looks, a little bit of a feel of luxury, interesting tech, but if you care about driving, like in my, my take on it was that a Tesla isn't gonna satisfy you unless you pay for the 120 grand Model X, which I will say was very interesting dynamically. Right. But it's interesting you say they share certain components. So are you getting the most out of your money in a Model 3 because they share components with the higher price ones and getting ripped off in the Model X? Well, that was my feeling the whole time I was in the Model X. I'm like, we're just, you know, you buy this, you're just a sucker. But after feeling like the dynamic difference of the Model 3 versus the Model X, I, you, I mean, maybe it's not four times the price. Maybe it's not worth four times the price, but it is, it's on another level of sophistication it's it's not even close so uh, you know for me my first electric car i was thinking about that but i don't really have a vision to one in the near term i think i'm going to be driving manual transmission gas-powered vehicles for as long as i can oh for sure and uh would you like to go into our next topic uh at that point well, as a really exciting announcement for 2023, I have had the opportunity to place an order on a new Porsche Cayman, which is unbelievable because, uh, you know, you read Renlist and so forth and, and allocations for these are like impossible to come by. But I was able to get an allocation thanks to Brandon at Porsche Brooklyn. <laughs> Shout out to Brandon uh, for getting me an allocation on a GTS 4.0. Um, which is a lot of money. It seems crazy to me to spend this kind of money on a car, but I'm hoping it's not going to depreciate. Not quite Model X money, though. No, almost almost Model <laughs> X money. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm over the moon ecstatic about this. And and maybe another time we could talk like a little more about how I spec'd it out and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like the the Cayman GTS 4.0 is going to be one of these all-time great cars. That's a balance of sort of having some on-road livability with some of the you know Porsche heritage and and the um, what's the right way to put it the theater of the flat six engine and and overall performance. Uh, so I can't wait to get behind the wheel. As you can imagine, I'm devouring all of the content <laughs> on on the GTS 4.0 range. I think I may have seen everything twice or thrice by now. Um, but Car and Driver calls their GTS 4.0 Cayman long-term tester a love boat on wheels. 
So I, I can't wait to have mine. But the the topic that I wanted to talk about today, which I'm going to ask you your opinion on, Stephen, is what I should do on how I should take delivery. So I have two options. I can either take delivery in late April, early May here in the US, or I can wait until late August, early September and take European delivery. I don't have to pay for the car until I receive it. So there's not really any financial impact. You know, the, there's a lot of pros to having it now versus later, right? Because you know, I'm going to be thinking about it for the whole time. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, I also feel that having European deliveries on my first Porsche that I buy is maybe almost an experience not worth missing. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first instinct is that, I mean, obviously you miss a full summer of use with your car. Correct. That's huge. Huge. That is huge. <laughs> but on the contrary, I've heard that European delivery is amazing and that it is something that, you know, if you have the opportunity to do, you should take it. So I guess my question would be, do you, you know, how long until you feel like you might buy another Porsche? and have the opportunity to do European delivery. If you think you might own this or flip it and then go bigger into a 911, would you get more value out of that? Having a, you know, that bigger car, that that more special car maybe? I mean, the, the Cayman GTS 4.0 is very special. I have driven it in brief at the Porsche track experience, but, and not a manual though. Um, so it's it's you know or do you see this as your opportunity obviously I, you probably hope to do a future delivery of other porsches in the I future they do hope but you know that's the thing who knows right i have this opportunity now and i'm like hey you know my career could be in the toilet in five minutes who knows when the next time i'm going to order another porsche is and frankly when am i going to get the chance to order another six-cylinder naturally aspirated manual transmission porsche what other what other options are there on the lineup? The the next car to buy, if it's not the GTS 4.0 Cayman, is a uh, is a GT3. Mm. There's no other naturally aspirated 911, and that, that's over a two hundred thousand dollar car. So when am I going to be in that position, right? Yeah, no, it's um, it's a unique opportunity, and uh, you know, do you? wait for it to enjoy it in your home turf sooner and or do you wait to get a taste of it and pick it up from the factory and and drive it around europe a bit first it's so it's so hard for me i it's not an easy decision <clears throat> my instinct was obviously to have it immediately but right. at this moment you know the other thing is uh, my wife and i we, we had a, a small wedding in the us and and she's from mexico so we're getting married in mexico this summer and uh, that could be our honeymoon, like mm. a couple weeks in Europe in our Porsche, which I think would be sort of an unforgettable experience that sort of ties a lot of nice things together. Could be, as long as she enjoys and wants to have that as her honeymoon as well. She sort of wants to go to New Zealand, but I, I might be talking her into Europe. 
<laughs> you know what they say in marriage, happy wife, happy life. Well, the problem is business class tickets to New Zealand, which is like a 25 hour flight from here, are 10 grand each. Wow. And like, I don't exactly understand how to justify that. And flying 25 hours in, in economy class for my honeymoon doesn't sound so appealing. Maybe it could be a wayward point, you know, on the way to New Zealand, you stop in Europe, pick up your Porsche, drive around, <laughs> Porsche. <laughs> and, then you, and then you fly the rest of the way to New Zealand. Yeah, that would be nice if I didn't have a job and had just all the time in the world. <laughs> just a couple of vacations stacked on one another, you know? Um, yeah, so so I, I'm not sure. My dad was like very quick to say, well, then you'll have this $100,000 boat anchor sitting around all winter. And I said, no, no, I'm putting winter tires on this thing and I'm going to drive it all winter, you know? Uh, I mean, so, you would be picking it up. So you would pick it up in Europe around August or September. And then what time would it get to the U.S.? Not until late October. So I really I'd be getting it for winter in the U.S. Um, but the other the other thing that occurred to me was if I hold off on this, I might have the opportunity to buy and experience another interesting car in the meantime. <laughs> I, I was considering that, you know, one of the cars I've been talking about procuring is an M2 competition. Mm. That I'll either buy uh, an M2 competition or that Civic Type R that I'm obsessed with right now in the meantime. And probably get out of it for, you know. Same. Yeah, same same coin and eight months or something, unless we have a massive recession, which I don't expect. No, um, we'll see on that. That's a good point. I mean, you know, the Civic Type R, I think, would be a, a neat option to kind of fill the shoes for the summer. Um, it might leave you wishing you had your, your Cayman because it wouldn't be quite the same kit. Um, M2 obviously would be on the same par, I think, as the Cayman. So I think that could better fit those shoes um, in the meantime. It would be an interesting, you know, dichotomy or, or to go out of one into the other when you finally do uh, pick up your Cayman. But, um, you know, as much as I've heard great things about European delivery, uh, God, I'm, I'm thinking you take it sooner. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. We'll have to uh, we'll have to ask Ross what he thinks as well. You, you and my dad both, both say I should take it sooner. What's your What's your logic? What's my logic? Yeah, because I think, you know, you'd be in Europe and you'd enjoy it for what, like a few days, four or five days, something like that. Two weeks. You're gonna do it for two weeks. Well, that's you know that's nice. Um, but I think it's. A bit of a tease like I think you get actually more value out of it by having it and enjoying it as the family car that it's kind of gonna be at home in your backyard you know Porsche has a big sense of community around it you could start going to Porsche events you could track it you could autocross it you could you know start getting involved and a lot of that occurs over the summer. You'd be missing a whole season of all that fun, um, you know, unless you bought some other Porsche in the meantime. <laughs> well, that was the other thing that just occurred to me as we were talking about this. I could just buy like a, a, a used 987 Boxster. Boxster, you know, and then have a convertible for the summer. 
Or, or at nine eight seven Cayman, you know, and then and then I could live the Cayman experience over multiple generations. That would be could write a book about that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. anyway, it's a lot to think about. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to give it some more thought, and and we'll have to chat more about this offline. But uh, is there a know, deadline? I think I really need to decide quickly because otherwise I'll probably miss this spot for the European delivery. There's sort of not a lot of spots, and and if I don't take it, they'll fill up quickly. Um, so it's probably like a this week kind of thing. And and if you do European delivery, they just wouldn't start production of your car until later, so that it is ready at that time, or will it sit ready in Europe? I don't have any understanding about that, and yeah. no one seems to know the answer. Which I've also frustrating would it be people. that it's sitting in Europe ready and you can't have it? Well, I've talked to people who've done European delivery, and they said, oh, if you can get it so that you can pick it up in the spring, summer, you know, et cetera, not in the winter, then you know, that's the best. And I, w- I remember asking them, could you ask them to hold it? And they said, well, I, I, I would think that would, they would rather not have cars sitting you know taking up space waiting for their owners to come pick it up for the ideal weather you know kind of a thing so and and there's a point to that so um i would imagine they wouldn't start production until later so that it's ready more soon um sooner to your pickup time yeah you're probably right i mean why wouldn't they right they prioritize other other builds um but you would also figure, given that they're German, they'd want to have it ready far in advance. <laughs> <laughs> we know we so, have to build it. Let's build it. Well, you know, and then I have the counterpoint of wanting to do all the Porsche things with you this summer. You know, we talked about, like, some good drives. Uh, so, I don't know. So, it's a hard decision. I'm going to have to think think really, uh, really carefully about this. But anyway... In the meantime, we'll have to chat and share the details of your build and take a poll, you know, for our listeners, our fellow autoholics, and, and see uh, what they think of it. And, and based on that, uh, whether they would take delivery sooner rather than later in the U.S. or wait for Europe. If anyone's listening or cares <laughs> about about my first world problems, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very aware of how, how shitty it all sounds. But uh, well, hey, it was really nice to catch up finally, Stephen, and do another podcast. I, I think uh, we've been missing this, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our, our show today. And uh, I think we're going to be back more often, hopefully every week. Yeah, stay tuned for more Porsche updates <laughs> and uh, maybe some more electric car talk. Maybe I'll finally be able to drive a Tesla or have some experience and uh, – We'll be able to change my mind or, or share some other insights. I think your your homework before next week is to go to the Tesla dealer and set up a test drive. <laughs> I'm serious. We'll see about that for next week. <laughs> All right. Signing All right. off. Yes. Have a good night, Ryan. <laughs>